You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. I invite you to return to Genesis 26, which will serve as our scripture text this morning. We'll be looking largely at the whole chapter. Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands and will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar when the men of the place asked him about his wife. He said, she is my sister. For he feared to say my wife, thinking, lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. And when he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she's my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this that you have done to us? One of the people might have easily lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all of the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in, the land, in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of that water Esek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, for now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. And from there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. And when Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, his advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, 
Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? And they said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths. And Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. That same day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, We have found water. And he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is called Beersheba to this day. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, his daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Besameth, the, father of, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this word. And Father, we do ask that you would be pleased, Father, to teach us, to instruct us, that Father, we would gain the, uh, the spiritual nutrition, Father, that you intend from this particular passage, that Father, we would gain the insights that Father, you have impregnated in these words that, Father, we would be shaped and we would be fashioned after uh, the, 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 the precepts that are here, O oh, Father. These are things, Lord, we cannot do ourselves. We look to you, O oh, Father, that you, O oh, Lord, would be pleased to do these wonderful and glorious things, Father. And we look to you now, O oh, Father, with attentive hearts and make our hearts all the more attentive, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. text begins with a famine in the land, and as soon as we read that uh, line, I, uh, the reader of Genesis is immediately struck with, well, that seems and sounds familiar, doesn't it? Uh, Genesis 12, we'll think back all the way back there. Uh, Abraham is introduced to us at the end of chapter 11, and then in chapter 12, he, he, he migrates, he is he is told by the Lord to leave his homeland. He migrates down into the land of Canaan, and he's, no, he's, in, he's not in the land of Canaan, but what seems like any time at all, and suddenly there's a famine. Um, and notice that Moses, the author of, of Genesis, is, is very careful to be sure that we understand that the famine that's, that we're reading about in Genesis 26 is not the same famine that Abraham dealt with. You notice that? I... I don't think I would come to that conclusion in reading this, but I think it's interesting that uh, that the Holy Spirit is, showing, is is making this distinction, and I think it already begins to set us up as to a one clue as to what this chapter could possibly be about. Um, here we see there was a famine in the land during the time of Abraham, and now there's a famine in the land in the time of Isaac. And as we continue to read through this, we're going to be struck with really the fact that practically everything in this chapter is a repeat of what we've already been through, isn't it? And we might even say to ourselves, okay, we've gleaned the lessons from the earlier material. Are we to glean the same lessons from this material? And I think the answer to that is yes. And then we might say to ourselves, well, why is that? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. 
One is, uh, there are some lessons that we need over and over and over and over again. When the Holy Spirit inspires the biblical, the biblical author to write, he doesn't cause the biblical author to babble endlessly. I've said this many times. So when we, when we come across repetition, we can be rest assured that it's purposeful repetition, even emphasis, if you will. And I think as we begin to unfold this, we're going to see the need for that emphasis. But before we get any further in our text, which we've hardly taken one step, I, I have a second reason that I think we have this. Actually, I have more than two. We're going to bring in a third here shortly. But a second reason is that here we see the experiences of our fathers and our mothers in this faith are going to often be very much like our experiences in the faith. So we do really well to pay attention to the struggles that our fathers and mothers in the faith have had. Abraham had to deal with a famine. Guess what? Isaac is now dealing with a famine. Now, with that short introduction, uh, let's continue on. And before we move past this word famine, I think we can read this, and we can read this. We're so separated from time and from the culture of this ancient time that the word famine, I don't think, really scares us much. But if we lived in this day, the word famine would be a frightening word. What does, fam what does this mean? What this means is there's no food. Uh, there's a shortage of food. There's not going to be a suitable amount of food, of, of resources that are needed to sustain life. That's what's going on. And can you imagine the pressure that that would put on someone like Isaac? who has a large household to care for. He's got a lot of loved ones running around, and he's got herds of livestock. So the, the famine, there's a famine in the land. This, this would have put huge butterflies in the stomach of the ancient reader if he picked up his newspaper and saw that there was a famine coming. Uh, this would have been scary stuff. Now there was a famine in the land, verse 1, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And we're told in verse 1 at the end that Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And again, we're thinking, this sounds so familiar, doesn't it? This sounds so familiar. And here in verse 2, we're told that the Lord appears to him. Now, we've been studying the life of Abraham for many, many weeks. Again, as I said already, he's introduced to us at the end of chapter 11. And we... He's really been the central human figure, that is, of the text of chapters 12 through 25. That's a large section of Genesis devoted to Abraham. And I think uh, I read, I didn't make this count myself, but I believe that I've read that the Lord, during that time, we have record of him appearing to Abraham no less than eight times. And much of this concerns the promise of a son, Isaac. Well, now we have Isaac, and what's kind of interesting is we really only have one chapter where Isaac figures as a prominent figure in the chapter, and that's the chapter we come to, Genesis 26. And we only have record of the Lord appearing to Isaac twice, here in verse 2 and in verse 24. And we're told that the Lord appeared to him, but notice 
what he says. He says, do not go down to Egypt. Now, why would the Lord say that except for uh, Isaac had intentions in his heart of, headed to, of heading to Egypt? Or perhaps the Lord knew that Isaac would soon be tempted to head to Egypt. He's telling him, don't do it. Don't do it, Isaac. Don't go to Egypt. Now, what would be wrong with going to Egypt? If we lived in that time, we would be hearing about the, the uh, flourishing of Egypt. Now, why not go to Egypt? Well, in Scripture, often Egypt is representative of the world, isn't it? And the Lord does not want Isaac to leave the land of Canaan. Why? The Lord wants Isaac to trust him. So he says, do not leave, but dwell there in verse 2, the end. Notice, dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Okay, what land is that? Well, we're not left to wonder. Verse 3, sojourn in this land, and I will be with you. Sojourn in this land, and look at this little phrase here. I will be with you. How easily we could go past those words, but let's just pull the car off to the side of the road and let's take in that view for a moment. You pick up the paper and you read that there's a famine coming. What am I going to do? How am I going to support this household? What move do I need to make? I'm so lacking in wisdom. I don't know which direction to turn. What's going to become of this? How are we going to get through? How are we going to make it? And then you hear these words, I will be with you. And I would submit to you that that is the key to chapter 26. Now, I don't, I don't have a single word this morning for 26. I just have a phrase. I, I really didn't even think about it until just now. Rick, you didn't think of a single word. I really don't want to think of a single word because I like this phrase. I will be with you. It's not a single word, but we can all remember it, can't we? Let's hold on to that and let's just see if that holds muster as we go through the rest of the chapter. Sojourn in this land and I will be with you. And I will bless you, for to you and to your offspring I will give these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. This all sounds familiar, doesn't it? These are the promises that God has given to Abraham. Verse 4, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your offspring all these lands. And here's one we haven't seen in a while. In your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That to me is the, that's my favorite one. Why is that my favorite one? Because that is fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And do you realize as Jesus has come into our lives, this promise has been brought right into our lives. All of these centuries later, this promise is all about us, isn't it? What an amazing thing. If you look at verse 6, what does Isaac do? I think, this is, I think verse 6 is so powerful. What does Isaac do? What does he do? Don't go down to Egypt, Isaac. Don't go down to Egypt. Dwell right here. Dwell in this land. 
And then we come to verse 6. So Isaac settled in Gerar. What did he do? He obeyed. God told him to stay put, and he stayed put. Then we come to verse 7. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister, for he feared to say, my wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. I'm like, the more things change, the more they stay the same, don't they? I mean, Isaac, what's wrong? The Lord just appeared to you. He just told you he's with you. And you go down and off your knees or however it is you're visiting with the Lord, whether you're in prayer or however the Lord visited you, and you see a couple of guys and you're afraid of them and you cave and you tell them that Rebecca is your sister. What are you doing, Isaac? It would be really easy to chuck rocks at Isaac right now, wouldn't it? As I've said in previous messages, these passages aren't given to us so that we can throw rocks at the patriarchs. And quite frankly, um, this is more like a mirror, I think, than it is anything else. How often do we cave into the fear of the people that are around us? How often do we do that? And besides that, uh, Isaac's fear is real. You know, in 2 Samuel, we have a story of a very powerful king, a very loved king, by the way, who happens to be on the roof of his palace one day when he happens to notice a beautiful woman bathing on an adjacent roof. And what does he do? Out of lust, he summons for this woman, and he has an affair with her, and she is a married woman. He wants her for himself. But what's in the way? Uriah, her husband. So what does he do? He has Uriah killed so that he could have her for his own. So you see, this is a real concern that Isaac is dealing with here. But what is Isaac doing? Well, he's forgetting the promises of God, namely the promise that I will be with you. And he is succumbing to fear of the men who are around him. And we can relate with that. But notice in verse 8, we're told that when he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah. Now, what is that all about? Well, obviously, Isaac and Rebekah are exchanging pleasantries that would go well beyond the normal cordialities that uh, we would uh, commonly see. How you like that? Do you put it that way? Very obviously, there's an intimate relationship here, and uh, they don't realize that someone's watching them. Listen, if you're in Christ Jesus this morning, somebody is always watching you. You're being watched. <laughs> and you're being watched sometimes with the eye of, I want to see them screw up. And the reason people want to see us screw up is because they don't want to repent. And if they can see one of us screwing up, which isn't going to be that hard to do, then they can say, you know what, look, they're a bunch of hypocrites and I'm not going to join their number. And then they won't have to repent. That's on their side, but on, on our side, what's going on here? On, on our side here, Isaac is lying. He's just flat out lying. 
And he's caught in that lie, isn't he? And look at verse 9. Abimelech called Isaac, and he said, Hey, Isaac, she's your wife. How then could you say she's my sister? And Isaac's truthful now. He says, because I thought lest I die because of her. And Abimelech says, what is this that you have done to us? One of the people might have easily taken her. What is this that you have done to us? And the amazing thing is, again, it just sounds like Genesis 20, doesn't it? It sounds just like Genesis 20. I mean, you can recall right after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, Abraham is dwelling with the oaks of Mamre. And after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, what's he do? He moves down into Gerar. And when he moves down into Gerar, now he has, he has wined and dined the Lord and spent all this time with the Lord. And he goes down into Gerar. As soon as he goes down into Gerar, what does he do? Uh, Sarah's my sister. It's that stuff again. And I don't say this to throw a rock at Abraham. I just say this. Look at look how wayward we are. If this can happen to Abraham and this can happen to Isaac, guess what? It can happen to Ricky Boy too. More than it can happen to Ricky Boy, it has often happened to Ricky Boy. We're all, you know, we're all pumped up and brave and we're going to share the word of God with somebody and we get there and what happens? Freeze up. You know, freeze up. I mean, this could be expressed in a whole bunch of ways. But notice here, just as Abraham was rebuked publicly by Abimelech, now this is uh, probably the grandfather, or at least the father of the Abimelech, which Isaac is dealing with here, just as Abraham was publicly uh, rebuked, here Isaac finds himself being publicly rebuked. But look at verse 11. Verse 11 is so important. Abimelech warns all of the people, saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Why is that so important? Because the Lord said, Isaac, I'm going to be with you. And what happens? A decree comes from the sovereign of the land that Rebekah is off limits upon the pain of death. God said, I'll be with you. And he was. Then we come to um, verse 12. Isaac sows in the land and reaps in the same a hundredfold. And the Lord blesses him. And the man becomes rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. And he had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines envied him. Now, in the first part of this, we see that Isaac has struggles because of famine. And the second part of this, we're going to start to see that Isaac is going to have trouble because of feast. In other words, troubles can come in hard times and troubles can come in good times. They come in both. Oftentimes we forget that. Troubles come in hard times. No, troubles can come in good times. Here, uh, Isaac is being blessed, and he's been being blessed to such a degree that the Philistines are envying him. In verse 15, we're told that they'd filled up a bunch of wells that, that Abraham had dug. And look what happens in verse 16. Abimelech, just flat out, says to Isaac, go away from us. For you're mightier than we. You're mightier than we. But isn't this what God has promised all along? What has God promised? God promised Isaac, or promised Abraham, rather, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Now what's happening? 
Abimelech is recognizing that Isaac has become a nation. He's recognizing him not as a household, but he's recognizing him as a force to be reckoned with. You keep, you keep growing like this. I, you, can, you, can, you can hear their, their little talks in their, their little oval office. You can hear them. Hey, if they keep growing like this and they turn on us, we're not going to be able to defend ourselves. Let's get them out of here. What's happening? They are recognizing, they are recognizing that the Lord is with Isaac. You see, God has promised, I will be with you. And here Abimelech is recognizing that the Lord really is with him. I don't have to guess about that. Look at verse 26. Skip down to verse 26. When Abimelech went, after some time has passed, Abimelech went to Isaac from Gerar with his advisor and the commander of his army. And Isaac says to them in verse 27, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? And they said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. He's been with you. So we've said, let there be a sworn pact between us and between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you. He's being recognized as a nation. This is not something that nations usually don't go to households and do this. He's being recognized as a nation. Why? Because the Lord is with him. But back to um, verse 17. If you just back up again, Isaac departs from Gerar. He's basically kicked out of Gerar. He departs from there. He encamps in the valley of Gerar and settles there. And Isaac dug well, again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father, with the Philistines had stopped after his death. So he's, he's redigging these wells. In verse 19, when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarrel with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So they call the name of the well Esek because they contended with him. And Esek means contention. And in verse 21, they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also, and he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it, so he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. What is going on there? What is going on there? Isaac is suffering as a result of God's blessing. Isaac is suffering because God is with him. I think it's something we don't think about that often, but um, let's immediately think of Jesus. If there's a prime example of someone who suffered because God was with him, there's an example. Amen? Verse 23, from there, Isaac went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you. And again, I, I, I think that phrase, I am with you, or I will be with you, I think is the, is the mainstay. Let's tease that out a little bit here as we um, wrap this up and put this all together. What is more comforting to us? in times of hardship than the company of a friend. Uh, many of you have, have commented to me on different occasions and saying we're so thankful for our church family. And a lot of times those comments have been made while you're going through something that is really significant or something that is really difficult. And why would we say that? 
during that period of time. And it's because when we're going through hard times, what do we really want? What do we really need? What do we really desire? We desire companionship, but not just companionship. We desire wise counsel. We desire faithful counsel. We desire people who care about us. When you're lonely, what do you want? When you're tired, what do you want? When no one seems to understand you, what do you want? You want someone who can comfort you. You want someone who understands you. You want somebody who will take a tissue and wipe and dry your eye with. When you're having trouble with, with teenagers, when you're having trouble with kids, raising children is the most difficult thing we do, is it not? When you're having trouble with the workplace, when you're having trouble with your marriage, what do we want? What do we desire most? We desire companionship. And we could look at this text and we could say, oh boy, look at the way that God is with Isaac to have that kind of companionship. Look at the way that God is with Isaac. Could, would God be with us this way? And of course the answer is yes, isn't it? In fact, God is with us in a way that even surpasses the way that he was with Isaac. If we, if we look back to uh, verse 4, in your offspring all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed. How does that come to pass? I've already said it comes to pass in, in Jesus. But Jesus is who? The prophet Isaiah says his name is Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means what? God with us. So you see, the gospel is all over Genesis 26, isn't it? God with us. God is so with us. When, we, when, when we're lonely, when we're tired, when we need comfort, when we're sad, no matter what emotion you're experiencing, no matter what hardship you're experiencing, no matter what you're experiencing, Emmanuel, God with me. You don't think he's with you? Look to the cross. What is he doing up there? He's taking away all of the filth that our sin has put all over us. And he's doing it thoroughly. He's not doing a half-hearted job up there, is he? Oh, he's doing it thoroughly. You, don't, you think he missed some sin in your life? Do you think he missed a stain on you? Do you think he missed a stain on me anywhere? No. He is so with us that he is providing a cleansing that is so thorough that there isn't one single little spot to be found on you. Not one place. On the third day, he rises and he has to depart. He appears to his disciples and he says, listen, I've got to depart, but I want you to understand something. I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also, so that I will be with you, you see. That's in essence what's saying, being said there, as I paraphrase this loosely. What is it saying? It's saying that he desires to be with us, doesn't it? I will be with you. And he goes on to say, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send to the helper. And what happens at Pentecost? What happens in Acts 2? We've been studying on Wednesday nights. God himself comes to take up his residence in our hearts. 
And if you're in Christ Jesus this morning, God is with you in a way that he was never with Isaac or Abraham or any of the saints of old for that matter. Isn't that amazing? God with us. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you, Father, for the truths that we have here in Genesis 26, that no matter what we're going through, no matter what we face, whether it be a, a, a mom who has a mini stroke, or it be a child that has but another procedure after a long list of procedures, or it be a mom with bronchitis, or it be a parent uh, who's ill, it could be anything, a teenager that's wayward. Father, it makes no difference. Anything that we face, providing that we're in Christ Jesus, you have covenanted to be with us always. And I think I hear Jesus saying, listen, behold, I am with you always to the end of the ages. And oh, Father, even beyond that, we will be with you in your immediate presence for all eternity. Oh, Lord, what a marvelous truth this is. And what a, what a wonderful thing this, what a wonderful antidote this is to our anxiety to know that you are with us, to know that you love us, to know that you are providing for us all that we need, that you're providing for us so wonderfully, that you're protecting us and offering us such wonderful security. Oh, Father, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen.